This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. A few days ago, um, I was doing my typical uh, morning routine uh, with my two-year-old son, Caden. And, um, you know, he's awake. I go to his crib. He says, is the milk ready? I said, yep, milk is ready. Get him out of the crib. We go to our couch. This has been our routine for two years. He drinks the milk. I just sit there trying to wake up, and then he's all done, and then we kind of just sit for a few moments, not really saying anything. Um, I'm 50% awake. He's he's all awake, just trying to figure out maybe what he's doing for the day, playing. And this is when typically he would get off the couch and walk and play with his trucks. That morning, something was off. He got out of the couch, and uh, he started walking, but he would fall every time. He would take a step and fall. He would take a step and fall, and take a step and fall, and then he eventually said, Dada, I can't walk. And so I went over to him, and I picked him up, and uh, I sat with him, uh, just playing with his toys. And uh, he wouldn't even try walking. He would just pick up the toys by crawling. Ten minutes passed, and uh, I said, let's try it again, Caden, let's try it again. He would stand, step, fall, step, fall, step, fall. And so I didn't know what to do. So at that point, I just went over to him and I touched his ankle. It was the right ankle. And I sat there and I just prayed for him. And I prayed out loud and he just sat there too. And then after prayer, he looked at me. He said, Dada, am I, am I all better now? Am I better? And it was really hard for me to say, not yet, buddy. You'll be okay. He wasn't okay at that moment. And that's the question that he asked. Am I better now? Now? Thankfully, an hour later, he was able to walk with a limp. This morning, he ran to me. And so I'm sure he's running downstairs. Yeah, he's running downstairs. He's not here right now, so he's running downstairs. But his question, am I better now, right after I prayed, caught me off guard. And as we looked in our series, Signs and Wonder, we see a pattern, a person needing healing, going to Jesus, and everything is better now. And in our sermon today, we see the healing of the blind man and the mute in Matthew 9, 27, 36. And though there is a pattern... The focus is not the result of what happened. As amazing as it is, it is literally a miracle, okay? But the focus is faith in Christ. I mean, what we want to ask is Caden's question. Are we better now? Is she better now? Is he better? Are we going to be better now? But what Jesus asks is, do you believe Do you believe that I am able to do this? Let's read that question from Jesus in our text this morning. The first half, verse 27 to 31, he says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to him, Here's the question, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. 
And then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. <clears throat> Before we get into Jesus' question, let's look at the request. Have mercy on us, son of David. And this falls under one of the uh, well-known lines of scripture or phrase, Lord, have mercy. Right? It's used inside of the church, it's used outside of the, uh, inside and outside of the church, in movies, in culture. However, Lord, have mercy has been, feels like it's been reduced to just a reactionary phrase. You kind of just say it. You don't really mean it. But originally, it was a powerful request. They didn't just say it. They cried out for compassion and mercy from Jesus. Mercy is the withholding of retribution that is justly due. They aren't just asking for mercy out of entitlement, but in crying in need, knowing that the mercy of God is unmerited on their own basis. If the need was achievable on their own terms, there would be no need to ask. Not only did they ask for mercy, but it was directed towards the son of David. But the first verse of Matthew, of the book of Matthew, is this. The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. The son of David was a pro- the person promised by the Lord through the prophet Nathan. This is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 7. When your days are fulfilled... And you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. The son of David, this Messiah, has arrived. This is him. And think about the first time that Jesus was addressed as a son of David in this letter were by two people that couldn't even see Jesus. They couldn't see Jesus, but they saw Jesus. The two blind men were aware of their need for mercy and believed in Jesus, the Messiah, who gives mercy. They go hand in hand. The mercy of God not only reveals his true nature, but also imparts an understanding of our own being and our need. And that's what resulted in their cry Have mercy on us, son of David. When we genuinely ask for mercy from God, we're acknowledging two main realities, that we need mercy and God gives mercy. That's what we're saying. But why do we need mercy? The the, the two blind men, they had a need that wasn't achievable, thus mercy was requested. There's no greater unachievable need than the forgiveness of our sins through Christ. We're justly due God's wrath of our willful rebellion against God. We can't wish it away. We can't ignore it away. We can't defer it away. The penalty needs to be paid. We need God's mercy for the forgiveness of our sins to be allowed to be with him in relationship. So why does God give mercy? That's who he is. That's who he is. His love, he ex- his, his, his love, he extends mercy because he is merciful. He is good, right? 
when Moses asked in Exodus, please show me your glory, Lord. Show me who you are. And Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. You want to see my You want to see my glory? Well, I will be gracious to you, and I will show mercy to you. Show me your glory. Okay, I'm going to show you my mercy. That's who I am. God revealed himself in his goodness rooted in his mercy. God giving mercy is God being God. God giving mercy is God being God. The two blind men were aware of their need for mercy and believed in Jesus, the Messiah, who gives mercy. That was their approach. And for us, how would we approach Jesus? Out of these two two truths, what is difficult for us to believe, that we need mercy or God gives mercy? That God generously gives mercy, that he wants to give you mercy, that he is merciful. And one of the most powerful words that we can cry out to God is, Lord, have mercy. But if we don't believe that we need it, or that God gives it generously and doesn't withhold it, it'll just be another reactionary phrase without worth. The blind men followed Jesus into a house text says, meaning they pursued Jesus. It was their eager faith in Christ that resulted in their pursuit. But eager faith results in eager pursuit in Jesus. And let's not forget, these men were blind. Following Jesus physically was a very difficult task for them practically. I can barely find my glasses in the morning. However, they're Pursuit of Jesus, spiritually rooted in faith, is what allowed them to tackle the practical aspect of it. It allowed them to press on in the presence of Jesus. And so as they enter into the house, Jesus doesn't ask, how can I help? Or what do you want? Or who are you? He asks the question, summarizing all the miracle stories that we've covered, do you believe that I'm able to do this? He asked a personal question because his relationship to us is personal. And this question ties in with the original request, have mercy on us, son of David. Okay, you've proclaimed it with your mouth, but do you believe it in your heart? The signs and the miracles have been the spotlight of these amazing stories. This is the question, the core of it all. Do you believe? Well, Pastor Robin, my, my faith is not like yours. It's not like the faith of others. It's not a strong faith. My faith is not like these two blind men who follow Jesus. Man, I struggle with doubt. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle knowing that I am wanted and loved and that God really cares about me. <clears throat> Pastor Robin, my, my faith is not like yours. My faith is just weak. Here's my advice. Don't make your faith about you. Make your faith about Jesus. Make it about Jesus. 
the songs that we sung, it's not about us. It's about him. Like we're, we're involved in some of the songs asking God to, you know, we want to trust you and we want to do these things, but it's towards God, not about us. Don't make your faith about you. It's not. Make it about Jesus. When Jesus says, do not be anxious about anything in your life, he's talking to anxious people. When Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He's talking to doubtful people. When Jesus says, come to me, all who are labor, all who labor in heavy land, I will give you rest. He's talking to tired and burdensome and lonesome people. Believing in Jesus does not mean the overcoming of all anxiety, doubt, and unknown in your life. But believing that Jesus is Lord and is greater than your unbelief. One of the most common prayers that I have is, I believe, help my unbelief. As Tim Keller says, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Jesus is the strong branch. Your faith doesn't depend on your strength, but it lays on the immovable and unshakable strength of the Son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he's asking you, do you trust me? The two blind men responded and said, yes. We believe. Jesus asks them a personal question, and Jesus responds in a personal way. By, by touching their illness, by touching their eyes, he didn't have to do that. He wanted to. Just like he wanted to give them mercy, he wanted to touch their eyes. According to your faith, be it done to you. The eyes were open. They were able to see. Jesus has the authority to give sight. And maybe for the very first time, they were able to see. They were able to make eye contact with the one that has shown them mercy and gave them sight. Man, I can't wait to meet and see the one that showed me mercy and gave me sight. Ironically, And immediately, the first thing they do is disobey the words of Jesus. This goes back to Genesis 3. All you got to do is not eat the fruit. All you got to do is not tell people what happened. It wasn't time for Jesus to reveal his kingship to the mass. That's why just, just keep it on the DL for now. There's still work for Jesus to do so they understand his true purpose and his way of overcoming the world. And so they asked them to keep this miracle to themselves now because Jesus knew what was to come once he became popular. When people heard about what he was doing and who he was proclaiming to be. He knew persecution was waiting. He knew the cross was waiting as soon as he became known. There was so much for them to see, so much to do with their repaired vision, but they did the one thing that Jesus asked them not to do. 
it's comical that you can laugh. Like, you, like telling a child, don't put it in the toilet. <laughs> but it's also serious because the way Jesus warmed him. The text says that he was stern. He was strict. He said, don't do it. So what does this mean to us? Faith in Christ does not lead to a mechanical obedience. But faith in Christ allows opportunities to trust in him, which is shown by our obedience. Too often we trust ourselves and disobey God versus trusting God and disobeying us. Every command that Jesus gives to us through his word is an opportunity for us to trust him through our obedience. Every command that Jesus gives to us through his word is an opportunity for us to trust him through our obedience. More than our works, more than our knowledge, more than our Christian resume, which does not exist, Jesus values our trust above all else. He wants our hearts. He wants our trust. And we can trust him by obeying him. It can be said that these men didn't understand Jesus' commands to keep it hidden. Now, what can be the big deal? Right? This should bring Jesus more glory and more fame and more popularity. Yeah, it did. That was the point. They used their own logic and understanding versus Trusting in the words of Jesus. They trusted in themselves, and so they disobeyed God versus trusting in God and disobeying themselves. They just said, Lord, we believe. They just experienced the mercy of Jesus directly and relationally. And yet they disobeyed. As much as we see Jesus' compassion... And his heart in this text, don't also miss what we see here. We see our sinful nature and our active rebellion against God in our hearts. Prone to wander. Prone to leave the God that you love. Faith doesn't lead to an automated response of obedience. But allows us to trust him, which leads to obedience. So let me ask, where do we trust ourselves more than the words of Jesus. Right, which commands of Jesus are we deferring versus obeying? In what areas of our lives do we need to repent and turn back to Jesus' commands versus doing what we think is best, what we think is logical? Every command that Jesus gives to us through his words is an opportunity for us to trust him through our obedience. Jesus continues to heal. We see another form of response of who Jesus is. Let's read the next two verses, 32 to 34. And as they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demons by the prince of demons. Matthew doesn't give much 
in this miracle, right? It's evident that Jesus has the authority to cast out demons and give speech. But there's no mention of this man's faith or faith of others. The focus here is the response of those who witnessed the miracle. Those, there were those who marveled, and then those who did not marvel. In fact, those who did not marvel accused Jesus of tapping into the devil's power and working for the devil to perform these miracles. The focus here is the spiritual blindness of the religious, legalistic, religion-following as one commentary says, the blind see, the mute speak, but the Pharisees speak out of their blindness. They're too blind to see Jesus for who he really is. The son of David, the Messiah, who was written hundreds of years ago before this moment. Written in Isaiah 35 it says, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstuffed. This was happening. It was happening. Jesus was doing it, but they rejected it. They have misunderstood the heart of Jesus. And so they misunderstood the person and the work of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is why he went throughout all the cities and the villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. The heart of Jesus is why he healed every disease and every affliction. Do you know why Jesus healed the blind man, the mute, the multitudes with disease and affliction? Do you know why I can say confidently that if you go to Jesus and say, have mercy on us, that he will respond Merciful? Do you know why we can go to Jesus in failure, in doubt, in anxiety, in sin? Even if we messed up in that moment, we can go to him directly. It's because of his heart for you. His compassion for you. The heart of Jesus is a heart of compassion. But let's go to the last verse. It says, when he saw the crowds, don't miss this, he had Compassion for them. That verse is what, why he did everything. He had compassion for us. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Right? Sheep without a shepherd are lost. They aren't great animals. But we also aren't great either. Sheep without a shepherd are lost. And so that's why Jesus came to be our great shepherd. Because of his compassion for us. Man, as sheep, we, we really need the mercy of God. We're helpless. We're lost. And so just like the blind men, we cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. And God responded. God ultimately responded to the plea of his people by doing the ultimate act of mercy, by sending Jesus as our mercy. God sent Jesus not to just provide mercy, but to be mercy. 
Right? Jesus is the human manifestation of the mercy of God. Jesus is the mercy of God to us. Jesus who lived a perfect life, a sacrificial death, a victorious resurrection extends God's mercy to all by faith. Why? Because he has compassion. He has compassion for you. He has compassion for us. Do you believe in your need for God's mercy? Do you believe in Jesus as Lord who is mercy? And if not, I invite you to believe in him today. And if you do know him, I invite you to live a life of compassion to others, knowing that the God of the universe has shown compassion to you. This is the source. This is the heart. This is the core. The son of David. Jesus has shown mercy to us. He's done it. He can't undo it. He's already done it. That's the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.